1: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order.
0: Additional terms apply. Hey folks, before we start the show, here's a brief word from Stephanie Miller.
1: Oh my god, we have an exciting new client, Literati. Oh! It's the number one book club for kids. Oh yeah! I had to do some digging to find people young enough, but my ex just had a baby! My nephew's. Three and seven years old. Perfect. We sent it to both of them. We're going to get reviews. It is for ages zero to 12. Yeah. Right. Libraries, schools, bookstores are all closed. Yeah. Right. Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women to make it easy to find interesting books delivered right to your doorstep. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or to give as a gift. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art personalized note to your child. What kid doesn't love receiving something in the mail? Home delivery, super important right now. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites. Send the rest back for free for a limited time. Try it with Travis's nephews. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie, 25% off your first two orders. That's literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Thank you, Stephanie. And now let the cartoons begin. from our nation's capital it is wednesday april 29 2020 and this is the interview edition of the bob seska show on the sexy liberal podcast network so charlie pierce was originally scheduled to be on today's show but he had to postpone so instead i thought we'd take a break from politics and listen to my 2019 interview with my friend and tv producer jim biederman On this episode, we talked about Jim's work on my animated series for VH1 back in the day, as well as his experiences working with Tom Green, Howard Stern, Andy Dick, the kids in the hall, and, of course, Gary Busey. Jim is endlessly entertaining, and if you're new to the show, you should definitely stay tuned to this episode. And don't forget to support this podcast at bobseskashow.com. All right, let's talk television with Jim Biederman. Hello. Jim Beterman, it's Bob Seska. How are you, man?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: Great, great. You know what? It just occurred to me just as I was dialing your phone number. You know, this might be the first time we've ever talked on the phone when I haven't been freaking out about something. That's kind of amazing. (laughs) (laughs) After so many years. Uh, So, history fluffer. Uh, How did you end up uh, being corralled into doing a podcast? (laughs)
3: Um, Dave Hill and I had done a pilot for TBS called You Had to you had to be there, mm-hmm. and the concept. Backing up a bit, um, but a year and a half ago, I did. I consulted for um, Tencent, which is the Chinese Netflix, mm-hmm. and um, and Shanghai Media Group, which is the kind of the Comcast of China. Yeah, and I went to Shanghai. <clears throat> I went to Shanghai, and I consulted on their sketch comedy shows and their comedy roast battles, which was. <laughs> A trip and a half.
0: I can only imagine what was that like. I mean, what are those? What are those shows like? Well, the interesting thing was that the sketch show.
3: Someone told me that in China, a Chinese, my, a guy who grew up in America but now work, lives and works there, told me that in China, uh, on on television, sketch shows. The first sketch show on Chinese television was 1985.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it was hilarious.
3: Which is, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was. So, so what you what you're immediately faced with is the kind of the realization that, say, Anglo-American, so British-American comedy has about 150 years uh, maturity level uh, or maturation on Chinese comedy. Yeah, but the Chinese, based on their Based on their alphabet, which has forty five hundred characters or something crazy like that, yeah. um, they love. They're totally into puns and wordplay, and <laughs> and so there's a lot of who's on first kind of stuff. There's a lot of a lot of that because wow. the same word pronounced slightly differently, literally spelled the same but pronounced differently. You know, you could be calling your mom uh, beautiful or a fat cow. You know, and and that gets a huge laugh, and <laughs> So, but that that was fine. So the, the sketch show was very much like they oh they put their pants on the same way we do, and you know there's the, the grumpy lighting director and I mean it, it's the the crew is the, the same. Um, the cast was very, from what I could tell. I don't speak Mandarin, but they made me laugh just watching them. Yeah. Um, but the weird one was the roast battle because they do not have a tradition at all. Well, the closest tradition they have, of course, is kind of Mao's self-critique, you know, that would be the <laughs> closest thing they have to a roast. Beef. So, you know, so they go, they go overboard, like, yeah. and then they're told there's a government censor everywhere. Yeah. And they're told, no, you can't say that. You can't say that. So then you're reduced to literally your, you know, your mama jokes. And um,
0: and um puns. And puns. Yeah, and right.
3: Puns. And, <laughs> and, and so that, that but we're, we're about a day or two before the taping, um, I, I have to tell you, the whole thing was so surreal and I had a translator with me and there was a minder for me and on the weekends I was free to do whatever I wanted, except you know, I, they say, well, we have a minivan waiting for you. He's like, no, I'll go for a walk And Shanghai is an amazing city. <laughs> and I would walk and I literally feel like I was being followed and sure enough, I was being followed, but, um, it, wow. it, it was strange. But anyway, so the, about day and a half before the taping, <clears throat> um, live audience like 400 people in the audience um, the, the, the television sensor comes to us and says we've decided that the last act should be a, a joy act
2: yeah
0: and a everyone j- in the room goes a, okay, a, okay okay a jo- what is a joy a j- act
3: as in happiness joy
0: yeah. uh, okay I see so happy ending for the sketch show
3: right exactly
0: but
2: this
3: this is the uh, this is the this is the roast battle
2: oh the roast battle so
3: everyone kind of nods accordingly oh yeah sure sure no problem problem." (laughs) and I'm told later that what that means is that after I think it was nine acts this is a weird it was like hour 15 or hour 20 show so (laughs) nine acts after eight acts the ninth act would be after eight acts of basically saying you know you know Bob you know your mother is so blank whatever um they then had to tell each other how much they loved each other.
0: That's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So in in China, that's an important element of broadcasting to make sure you get some love well, at the because, end.
3: No, it's okay. it's all about propaganda and it's all I about see. government fascistic government control. Mm. But but um, that you know we're all Chinese and we're all we all love each other. You know except for the ones we're imprisoning. But I think it's right. it's uh, and it was fascinating because that if that was didn't blow your mind enough what blew my mind beyond that was at the taping not a dry eye in the house
2: tears
3: from the audience from the performers saying hey hey man i know i told you your mom smells funny about an hour and a half ago but you know what the truth is i'm just so happy to be working with you on the stage
0: yeah, you're never going to see that with, like, Jeffrey Ross or someone. They're, they're never going yes, yes. to happen never, here. Yeah, never yeah.
3: going to do that. <laughs> I was going back to China. I went to Beijing. Yeah. I Netflix, they don't have Netflix. They don't have HBO. They, they have Tencent, which actually is Tencent. a big co-owner, I think, of Spotify. Yeah. And um, they're fascinating. I mean, but everything is fairly – everything is – you know you, you don't ever really forget you're you're, you're trying to do comedy in a dictatorship and and right. so there's a lot of misdirections and there's a lot of well we'll just say it's not you know we'll do sketch on the government like going to get your driver's license but we won't say it's your driver's license. like they're always trying to stay one step ahead of the government and they all they're all the millennial generation which is the biggest generation in china at this point they're fully aware of the the horrible irony that they exist under in terms of trying to do comedy. Yeah. But at the same time you go out drinking with them and karaoke, which they love uh-huh. and they get smashed and they tell you, you know, they'll tell you how horrible it is. And then like a, a fucking light switch goes off and they'll say, but I'll tell you it's better than I'm glad I live here as opposed to in the United States. And I'll say, why? <laughs> and they'll say, because your government doesn't care about you. And our government is like having, the most loving mother and father ever now. Wow. Yeah. But you know, what's funny is I thought about it. I thought, wow, that's true. Black, you know, uh, brainwashing. But then I thought about the part about the United States. They weren't wrong about us. Um, <laughs> Our government doesn't really care. About no,
0: definitely all. not. Right. <laughs> Unless you're a Trump supporter. And then you uh, honestly believe support. that Trump loves you right. more than he loves himself. Right. Exactly. Sure.
3: So it was fascinating. the whole th- The whole thing was fascinating. I I had gone back and forth over a course of nine months. And yeah. Um, anyway, well, what I started to really start to, 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 to I became obsessed with this idea of what is that kernel like? So I could go and you know I would have the sketches or jokes translated for me, and mm-hmm. I'd have to kind of the translations are terrible, so I'd have to kind of oh I get it, you know I have to really figure it out. But, but what's that kernel? <laughs> that one thing that we all find fun, like no matter what your language, no matter what your, what is that? And it can't just be slipping on a banana peel. And also this whole idea that, that, you know, in a, in a, in the United States, certainly in, in arguably most Western developed countries, comedy isn't a dangerous act. Um, but there are in other countries, even in India, which is inferior democracy, to there, you can get killed for telling the wrong joke. That's right. And, um, and in China, you can just, you can just get disappeared. And, you know, it's, it's, and I started to become, I became fascinated with this idea that for us, it's, we take it for granted yeah. and the rest of the world. I mean, there's comedians, there's a, there's a Nigerian daily show. It's not the daily show, but it's their version of the, you know, a rip off of the daily show that sometimes just doesn't go on the air for weeks on end because the government, decides they can't or they've kidnapped the host or they've killed one of the producers. And I mean, but these people still get up every fucking morning to tell a joke. And so I started to think like really became obsessed about. So Dave Hill and I, who I've known for a long time, and I said, listen, I'd like to take you and kind of to soften the edge basically, but basically kind of do an Anthony Bourdain about comedy Mm -hmm. around the world. And we, we sold it to CBS and we did a pilot and then they came back and said, this is great, but, it's kind of too similar to what Conan sort of does Mm -hmm. and um, the travel part. So uh, we were figuring out how to work together. And one of the things that Dave does really well is he just makes these, tells these bullshit stories. So history fluffer came out of the idea that what if Dave was that guy at the end of the bar who, you know, if you and I are talking about this, is he'll, he'll, you know, perk up and say, I I was in China once and then tells the most incredible bullshit story. And so that is history fluffer. And um, I'm a big history fan. So it's great to basically fuck with history. So that's what what it is. That's the long-winded
2: version of it. Wow,
0: wow. And you know what? I'm hearing you talk about China and and you actually trying to work in comedy in China. And I'm going, you know, that's kind of a common denominator in your career, Jim, is working with... (laughs) insane people in insane situations. That's like, I I, I could list um, just right off the top of my head, like at least half a dozen shows in which you're at the center of this amazing tempest of creativity and madness all around you. And usually it's (laughs) centered on, on one other guy.
3: I I don't believe in reincarnation per se, (laughs) but I have to believe that I've, I've killed more than one person in a previous life. And so now (laughs) I'm,
0: Right, right. Um, I, I haven't been on a TV pitch in years and years and years. And so much mm. has changed over the last 10 or 15 years. And I'm not saying that from a, like an old guy point of view. I was like, Oh, I remember back in the mm. old days when TV was TV. Uh, what I'm saying is, it it literally has changed even in the past couple of years. I mean, what mm-hmm. what's it like? I mean, how has the industry specifically changed for Someone in your role as someone who runs these shows and goes on these pitches, what are you up against now that maybe you didn't go up against or you didn't have to go up against, uh, say, in two thousand three and two thousand four when we were last working together?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, this the same, it's the same thing. Although it's the one element that's heightened mm-hmm. makes it incredibly difficult to sell is fear. Yeah. So you have executives who, as you know, were always fearful. They're they're just fearful of losing their jobs. They've always oh, yeah. been that way. Yeah. But now but now they're fearful that that they're you know, forget about getting fired. They may walk in tomorrow and their job just may not exist. Yeah. And it's it's it is the the disruption that is going on in the industry in terms of who the where the power is. Yeah. Um, makes it extremely difficult to, to sell. And and, and, I will, and what's also happened is as the movie business has become less and less of an actual business, yeah. and by that I mean a volume business, mm-hmm. um, the downward pressure on us, you know, low life television scum, has been that now the actors who, the, the A list actors, writers, and directors who can't get their movies made go oh wait i can do I can do the six episode version of my movie and get as much the same amount of money if not more and right. and and in and, and. and so the, you're now competing against Brad Pitt
2: <laughs> you know you're going <laughs> right. in at two
3: o'clock you're going in at two o'clock at two forty five Brad Pitt's coming in mm-hmm. hmm, I wonder which one they're going to buy so it's 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 very, very difficult, and I think a lot of it is basically this weird idea that still prevails that if I have, if I do have Brad Pitt, people will watch and it doesn't translate. Um, and then of course the whole social media aspect of it is another weird thing where you have older middle-aged executives buying a show from someone who's an influencer. Yep. The worst, the worst phrase in the world. Um, <laughs> Thank you. On, just, <laughs> so I
0: so agree with you.
3: It's burned down the house. I know. know. Um, But, you know, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever they are. um, And ideally they're racist and they, but they have two or 3 million followers and they'll say, wow, they have 2 million followers on Instagram. We'll do a show with him or her. And here's the part that, you know, the Nimrod executives don't understand Um, the act of watching the act of Engaging in social media is a is what Marshall McLuhan would call, you know, a, a, a hot medium, mm. whereas watching television is a cool medium in the sense that when they do brain scans of people who are watching television, literally, their their entire brain goes blue because you're it's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate drug. Yeah. And you're just there's no there's no activity going on. You're just you are passively accepting whatever is being sent to you. Exactly. Um if you're doing social media if you're engaged in social if you you know you're the one driving your narrative so you click on a link you don't like the link you click on another you you are going down the rabbit hole yourself you're yep. directing that yep. and so what they've done when they do brain scans of that that person's head brain is red red and yellow wow. and um so why would i like the, and whatever dopamine that releases why would i watch someone on television because because I, I follow them on Instagram, but network executives think that that's there's it's a you know uh, uh, there's an equality there in terms of mm. and so then they're surprised when the two million viewers don't show up for their shitty cable show with their <laughs> shitty influencer, right? And it's only like fifty thousand people, and they go, wait, but what about the what what about the Instagram? Mm. And you just want to shake them and say it doesn't work that way. It's just. Mm. Do you wonder why your audience are leaving? They're leaving because you are not providing the same kind of literally d- d- dopamine that yeah. they get from doing it themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I feel like and I don't want to put the carpet ahead of the horse here and, and get into uh, when you and I first started working together. But, I mean, with mm-hmm. my show, which an animated sketch show. I always thought that mm-hmm. we were kind of up against that challenge, the the red versus blue brain challenge there the passive versus active challenge where that my stuff kind of worked well in that active sense online but then you transfer that into a longer form tv format and then suddenly things start to break down and i'm not sure if that's the same dynamic but certainly that was a point of consideration given that i was coming from the internet and trying to adapt that to tv so i may have may have been one of the first ones to kind of try to make that leap from influencer to uh to television yeah. and yeah. so uh we were kind of both up against that to a certain respect uh, at that uh point there's there. no
3: question i i think and 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 to extend it just a little bit the metaphor a bit and that is what if if not that we but we were up against another thing which is the um t- translatability which i think is yeah what you're kind of, what you're talking about, which is I, when, when I would see your clips online, I would get a thrill. I mean, it would be thrilling almost not only discovery, but also there was an intimacy between me and, and your website. I was, there was a connection when you were then, um, uh, piecing, you know, two, three, four minute sketches, animated sketches together for a 30, 22 minute show. um, you know, there's a translation problem, but also, I would argue, in terms of where we were, which is even further extending the metaphor, uh, uh, the wrong audience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the VH1 audience are trying to transfer something from, you know, like a 18 to 25 demographic online to, you know, 35 plus women on basic cable. And that was that was a hell of a leap. But you know what? The the fascinating thing that I saw, uh, Jim, after it's kind of after we finished doing the sort of abbreviated one and a half seasons that we did, um, is that a lot of those sketches got pulled out, added to YouTube. And they now have... Like the the SpongeBob cartoons that we did for for the VH1 show <laughs> that the VH1 that Steve yeah. Hillenburg didn't let us do that, that Nickelodeon wouldn't let us right. do. I remember. Yeah, I remember. those were those somehow uh, leaked onto the internet and they now have. There wow. are millions of versions of it. Each one has millions and millions of views. I, I'm kind of sounding like Trump here, right. but it's true. They're right. downloaded all the time on YouTube, all over YouTube. There are German translations. I mean, there are insane wow. things happening with that series of cartoons and again perfect example we couldn't even get that one on the air on vh1 right and it and it was right. huge on youtube once that right. finally uh, right. came around right perfect example again, of that.
3: it's it's, uh, it's yeah it is it's exactly what the issue and is. so you now have executives who uh if you haven't noticed already i have no great uh affection for <laughs> that who are truly cogs i mean whether they're dumb or not i, I don't know but they're you know i'm sure they're all very nice people but they're just cogs in the you know in the machine and, and 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 they're running scared and they really they don't ever think about why social media attracts a certain level of audience yeah. and why they why their stuff doesn't and and that's the hardest thing i mean because at the end of the day yes you're still pitching a good idea. You're still pitching a talent that's involved that they, that they want to be in business with or not. Um, you're still pitching something they haven't heard, or it's a version of what they haven't heard. So you, all of those things remain, but that one, that one element, which is the part where on, in the weirdest way, they they feel that they're, they have, the time is on their side by not making a decision <laughs> yeah. when in, I would, ar- when I would argue how, Forget it.
2: Yeah, right, right.
3: Don't even talk about time. Don't. The sand has literally, there is no more hourglass left. And so I think it's, it's they they don't, but they don't think that way. They're, they're Hollywood. I think you and I had this conversation fifteen years ago. Hollywood is a reactionary industry Mm -hmm. for an industry that is arguably built on technology and always has been. I mean, the the camera, the projector, everything, Mm -hmm. all the way up to now. It's a, it's an industry that only exists because of, because of invention and technology, um, coupled with it's a, you know, you hit, you print money. And then finally coupled with kind of ego notice art has nothing to do in those three pillars. And, and that for, that's what drives the industry. But for an industry that is basically the, 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 the foundation is, is innovation and, and technology. I've never met, uh, a bigger bunch of technophobes and morons when it comes to technology <laughs> than, by the way, any studio network cable network uh, production company development company any, just throw just spit out a window and whoever you hit they will not they will not know how shit works and yeah. it 's amazing to me.
0: Yeah. In fact, you and I got stuck with uh, at least one executive along the way uh, at VH1 yes. who, who not only yeah. didn't understand the technology, he didn't understand cartoons or sketch comedy. No. And, and we're doing technology, no. we're doing cartoons, and we're doing sketch comedy. Right. He didn't get any Correct. of that. I mean, I'll never forget having a conversation with that guy where he's giving me a note on one of the sketches. He says... Well, uh, Bob, I guess Tommy Lee was in one sketch and then we brought him back in a in a separate sketch a couple of sketches later in the show. And he's like, "Well, Bob, how does Tommy Lee get from Los Angeles to New York in just a few minutes?" I'm like, "What are you even what are you talking about? It's a sketch. It's self-contained and then it's also oh it's also car- it's the same format in which Bugs Bunny blew into his thumb to reinflate his head. And that's the universe we're dealing in. It doesn't matter whether Tommy Lee could physically get on an airplane and travel to New York City in three minutes. It just happens. That's the so that's the kind of oh these are the kind of conversations oh that we God. were having with those guys at that network. And I should I shouldn't I say would, guys, would, it's one guy. One guy. Yeah, it was okay. one guy.
3: I, I I I I still by the way, still have those conversations.
2: Yeah.
0: And
3: I've now gotten to the point where I just say I just stop and go. Um I'm sorry, do you care? I mean, really, I mean, at the end of the day, and there's this usually a long pause, and they go, yeah, yeah, you're right, never mind, and they move on. But, I mean, the problem, I think, is that well-meaning people like you and I hmm. feel we need to um, answer the, you know, the idiot in the back rows question, right? Um, when they go, well, how does he get across country? I mean, he was just a New Yorker man. and you just say, well, I mean, and, and, and it's a, I, either being raised well, or it's just, you, know, you don't want to be rude, but I really, as the older I got, i just, it's okay to be rude.
2: Yeah, It's okay yeah.
3: to just say, I'm sorry. Do you, do you give a fuck about that? Cause I don't. And by the way, if you're, if you're giving a fuck about it, then we've failed. Right, right,
0: right, right. Well, see, that's one of the things. I mean, that must be a new development for you, Jim, because uh, one of the many things that made me want to be you when I grew up was you always made your work seem effortless, despite all the madness around you, whether oh, it was coming the talent that you were working with or the executives that you're working with, or in many cases, both. How do you deal with the stress of the idiot executives, the difficult talent, the deadlines, network pressure. I mean, do you feed off of that excitement or do you have you just developed a way to holster your emotions in those cases?
3: I I think it's a combination of both. I think there is and I will say that when I'm not on a show, I I I'm I'm uh I'm not a depressed person per se, but I get I get depressed. I get like kind of antsy yeah. and anxious and 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 then yet by the way it's the same for the same in the same token I'm when I'm in a show and I'm dealing with you know name any of the crazy people I've worked with um I, it's like all I can all I in my head it's just like I just I want to get I just want to have a week off and just not have to talk to them but I know that in that week off I'll be crazy by Tuesday night <laughs>
0: <laughs> See now, the other thing is too is I always thought that you would be a great network executive yourself and I'm sure you I'm sure you've had offers but the problem is you're too smart and too centered to be a network executive I think and and it sounds like um you're really into the sort of the pulse-pounding nature of being in the thick of the production is that right?
3: I see. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I've certainly there's offers to have not that many, but uh, and I've certainly entertained them. Um, but I think if I'm being honest with myself, in taking those jobs, I would be so jealous. Like if 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 you were producing a show for me as and I'm the network, I would be so jealous of you. Yeah. That you got to be creating something, no matter how painful that creation was for you. Mm -hmm. and and by the way i might even be causing some of that pain as the network Jack. i it's i would still be jealous of you yeah and so i think uh, because i and i'm not one of these people like i'm not i don't believe in the romantic the romantic artists you know struggling pained or you know artist um that the only way art comes out of is through pain i don't i don't believe in any of that shit um but i will tell you there is, it's fun. It's so much fun to be in the middle of of May, uh, You know, it's mm-hmm. fun to be yep. creating. Mm-hmm. It's just fun, and and no matter how uh, how difficult or 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 time consuming or in some cases, you know, it can ruin relationships that you have. It it's it's still it's its own drug. Yeah. And so I would never want to be the person who's just giving you notes because I would be very, very jealous.
0: (laughs) I'm sure. Okay, we'll get back to my conversation with Jim Biederman in just one second. But first. Oh, my God. We have an exciting new client, Literati.
1: Oh. It's the number one book club for kids. Oh, yeah. I had to do some digging to find people young enough. But my ex just had a baby.
0: My nephew's. Three and seven years old. Perfect. We sent
1: it to both of them. We're going to get reviews. It is for ages zero to 12. Yeah. Right. And libraries, schools, bookstores are all closed. Yeah. Right. Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women to make it easy to find interesting books delivered right to your doorstep. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or to give as a gift. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art personalized note to your child. What kid doesn't love receiving something in the mail? Home delivery, super important right now. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites. Send the rest back for free for a limited time. Try it with Travis's nephews. Go to literati.com Stephanie for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com Stephanie, 25% off your first two orders. That's literati.com Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. The Bob Seska Show. I've never asked
0: you this, Jim, and we've had many, many uh, conversations, a lot of time spent together. And yep. I don't think I've ever asked you uh how you first became interested in working in television. I mean, did you always see yourself as sort of the the man behind the curtain, <clears throat> sort of the wizard behind the scenes, or did you have no, performance no. aspirations or what?
3: No, I never I never I never really had performance. I mean I you know, in high school and shit like that, but nothing I never really it never drove me. Yeah. Um it's interesting. I've been doing more and more of it lately, not and more as you know, a strong word, but, um, and I will tell you, maybe up to about five years ago, I had nothing but fear in terms of performing. Now I just literally, I walk, I I could be a thousand could be 1500, 2000, 5,000 people on a stage. I wouldn't, it wouldn't even bother me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, 10 years ago, if there were 500 people, I'd be like, um, so that's one thing, but I, I, uh, without getting too much into my childhood um, became obsessed by, by, with Hollywood mm-hmm. and I knew every movie that was made from probably 1938 to about 1975 and I could wow. tell you what the studio was. it was almost uh, autistic but I'm not autistic right. but I would I would just memorize these things and I would memorize cert- like, B and C and D level actors that nobody remembered but who had like you know they did thirty movies in fifteen years, and you know they had a, They were they did well, and they they were considered stars of their time that nobody nobody remembers now. And um and and my my father would do this thing like <laughs> he'd have a dinner party and he'd call me downstairs and say like name a year and then ask ask about a star and Jim will tell you what the movies they were in in that year and I could do that and wow. it, it it was an escape it was an escape from a otherwise unhappy childhood and so <laughs> i and that's all and i'll leave it at that but um wow. i think that it i became obsessed by it and so my whole gear was film i wanted to go to i want to be a filmmaker so i got into nyu film and back in the time when it 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 uh on the one hand melt, meant even more than it does today because you were only about 10 or 15 years away from when Scorsese was there. Right. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, probably much more bullshit then than it is now. Like now it's actually, it kind of means something. Then it was just, it was art school essentially. Sure. And, um, and so I went to NYU film and I graduated and I refused to move to LA. I stayed in New York and there's no real film work <laughs> in, yeah. in New York. What what you realize is that even Martin Scorsese has to fucking battle to get his movies made, and so um, I worked for I worked for a Japanese video company that was interesting. Um, I worked for a small production company in New York that did documentaries, and then I heard about a job at um, a company called Broadway Video, yep. which is Lauren Michaels' production company, and I jumped at it, and I was there for nine years. So and what what, um, what I year then,
0: what year was that? When did you start at Broadway?
3: Was that eight ninety? Ninety, I
2: think, wow.
3: and the, one of my first big. And Lauren took a shine to me, and and he's a difficult person to get you to take a shine. <laughs> but um, and by the way, you don't want the shine at the same time because he the 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 moth can fly too close to the flame in his case, and so um, oh, I
0: see you
3: know. He's just very, he's a difficult, he's a very difficult person. Yeah. So, um, and I'm sure and, but
0: I'm sure you've wants, got more than your fair share of Lauren Michael's stories, right? Like,
3: what, like, I have a, I have to back up the only television thing that kind of, I mean, you know, apart from what everyone else watched. So Carol Burnett, I loved. Yeah. And, you know, but then I also love the $6 million man. So, you know, right. um, I obviously had no taste, <laughs> uh, but, I remember staying up late one Saturday, asking my father. I must been like ten or eleven, mm. and asked my father to um, if I could stay up because um, there was a band that was going to be on Midnight Special, which was uh, Wolfman Jack.
2: Oh yeah, uh, I Man remember Jack that. From
3: American, yeah, Wolfman Jack from American Graffiti, and obviously from Radio Fame, hosted a thing called Midnight Special on 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 saturday on mbcs
2: mm-hmm. on mbc
3: on saturday nights and i remember there was a band i wanted to see and i wasn't allowed to stay up that late it was 11 30 and my dad said sure just this once and he sat with me and this other thing came and said uh we'll find jack's uh <laughs> midnight special will not be seen night so that NBC can bring you blah, blah, blah. and this thing came on hmm. and i remember having this uh, the only other time I had a similar experience was when I heard the Sex Pistols album for the Virgin. And this is de- I'm in I'm in Denver, Colorado, so that should give you an idea of yeah. how mind blowing a Sex Pistols album could be. <laughs> but um, it was the same thing where I just I just was watching this show and going, I don't know what the fuck this is, <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, and I can't tell you why I love it, but it was so different and so remarkable and so it just had this life to it. And that was the first episode of Saturday Night Live. And I never yeah. missed an episode after that. So by the time I ended up working for Lauren, he was obviously a god to me. And the moral of this story is never meet your gods. Yeah. And I, 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 he, I remember we, he I'd written a memo about something and he, and I worked for the guy who ran the company, not him. And he somehow got a copy of the memo. Uh, and he said, I want to meet this kid. And I went and had and he, and he, he had dinner with him and I was like literally pissing and shitting my pants. Cause it's like, he's just you and him. Yeah. What do you ask him? What do you, what do you ask him? And what I realized is that you don't ever ask Lauren anything. Um, he tells you cryptic weird shit. And, um, and I remember leaving that dinner thinking, walking home in down the, street, the streets of New York going,
0: what an asshole.
3: Like, I mean, it was,
0: yeah. Uh, Most people who meet Lauren for the first time are walking away going, what the fuck was that all about?
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, he would say, he says these cryptic things that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a little Chauncey Gardner esque, you know, it's kind of, you know, well, you know, you know, Jim, the, the garden needs to be watered and you're like, oh yeah. And you think it's really deep. And then you're like, no, it's true. Gardens need water. Like he didn't, didn't say anything mind blowing. And so you just, you realize that, you know, it's, it's, he, he's a charming man. He's an intelligent man. He obviously, you know, he has a vision. I don't know what it is, but he definitely had one at one point. Um, he's complicated. He's crazy. You know, He's kind
0: of an iconoclast, right? I mean, there's no one quite yeah, yeah. like Lorne Michaels, right? There's no, mm-hmm. one. it's like Larry, no, no. Larry King or even William Shatner or Donald Trump, for that matter. They're, they're kind of right. on their own track, separate from the rest of society. Correct. Correct. Yeah.
3: And I think that it's funny that you know he was out in L.A. and and he was obviously from Toronto, but he was in L.A. before he you know doing Lily Tomlin stuff and mm-hmm. Flip Wilson shows and things and Laughing. He was on Laughing as a writer, and he. When they sent him to New York, it wasn't his idea to do the show from New York. It was the guy, the head of NBC he was like, why don't we do, why don't, you know, why don't we do like old time, old schooly thing and do it live from our old shitty, you know, Studio 8H. And he's told, so I've had subsequent to that dinner. I had way too many dinners and travels and whatever with Mr. Michaels. But he, the most interesting thing, the, the times when he's regaling you with stuff where you don't, you aren't bored is yeah. or at least I wasn't. is when he would tell you um because by the way there's only so many different ways you can hear how he met Chevy Chase cuz it's the same <laughs> fucking story over and over and over again. Yeah. And um I've seen the only person I've ever
2: seen uh
3: uh kind of put him in his place regarding regarding that was Don Olmeyer who used to run NBC who yeah. Uh, yeah, unpleasant man in his own right, but I remember sitting in a meeting with Warren and a bunch of people Warren Littlefield and Don Olmyer and and um Lauren starts in with his usual when i first met Chevy Chase and then uh, you know everyone starts to go to sleep because they've already heard the story 500 times Don Olmyer went yeah 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 blah 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 and it's just so it's so through Lauren i i've never seen i've never seen him actually thrown he it was like he didn't know what to say
2: Oh my god. But anyway,
3: the one time the the the, so the stuff he would tell me about that I just couldn't get enough of cuz cause, yeah. cuz cause I'm a geek. is he would tell me how when they got to Studio 8H, they didn't even have like they didn't even have cameras. They had to go find the old cameras from, you know, cross town in storage and yep. and they were using like 1965 cameras because NBC just never up, you know, it was you didn't uh, upgrade in the back then. That was it. You know, maybe you went to color, that was it. Mm-hmm. And um they had to do all this work on the studio, and it just was really, really cool, because on top of the fact that they basically made a show that changed the face of comedy, I would say, internationally, um, they were also trying to figure out how the fuck they were going to film it. <laughs> like, they didn't even have cameras. And so it's, it was like, uh, I'm always impressed by, you know, it wasn't just Sisyphus and One Rock. It was yeah. Sisyphus and like ten Boulders, you know, and mm-hmm. he did it. He did it. Yeah. He did
0: it. Yeah. It's really amazing that that was able to be pulled off. And then how long were you at Broadway video before you got assigned to, or I don't know what happened. How did you end up at kids in the hall?
3: So I worked for a guy named Jeff Roth, not the yeah. comedian, but right. be actually the producer of, of Conan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Conan took over uh, uh, Letterman slot, um, this was 92, something like that, 93. Yeah. Um, Jeff had been the EP on, kids for about a year or two
2: mm-hmm. and i
3: had and and jeff would send me up to do stuff like when he didn't want to go up to toronto he'd say let's go for the weekend like, okay and it was i was it was i'm an assistant basically and um but lauren really liked me and he's like and he took me out to dinner and he said what well, jim what do you want to do i said i want to be a, a comedy producer he said okay great trial by fire um you're gonna start on kids in the hall on monday <laughs> and you're the ep Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> like it was that fast.
0: That fast, huh? It
3: was that fast. It was that fast. And then it was, you know, then he started talking about, you know, when Paul McCartney blah blah blah. So um I was like I remember waking up in a like literally cold sweat on Monday morning, like in, in the morning, like two in the morning, thinking like, I can't do
0: this. I don't know anything. I know nothing. Yeah, and you hadn't literally met the you, you hadn't met the guys yet.
3: I had met like one or two of them, but, um, when, but the rest of them, no, and particularly Bruce McCullough, no, who was the most uh, the most difficult of them, yeah. but in a good way. Yeah. But um, I uh, so I went up and and I was like I you know just bullshitting my way through that week, yeah. and I remember towards the end of the week we we would tape on I think it was Friday or Saturday nights I can't remember, but um, they would do filming. During the week, and then roll in front of the audience. And um, Bruce came up to me on Thursday and said, um, "By the way, I'm not going to be here on Saturday. I'm going on vacation." I was like, "We're, we're, we're taping," <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm going to Big Sur. I'm going to go surfing." And blah, blah, blah. and I said, "Yeah, you, 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 really, really. I'm I'm 30 maybe 31." Yeah, and I said, I, "You can't do, you can't do that." You know, and he, <laughs> I was and he just he said, "Oh, okay." All right, well, fuck you. I'm going. And he turns around and walks away. And as he's walking away, I said, I, literally not thinking about it, I said, "Bruce, yeah, you're fired." Because <laughs> that's, that's what bosses do, I guess. Right. So, and, you, uh,
0: but yeah, and you were serious. I mean, you're just like, okay, I'm gonna was, I'm gonna fire yeah, one of the kids yeah, in the hall. I'll
3: fire him, yeah. Yeah, and he stops dead in his tracks. His back is maybe like 10-15 feet away from me. His back is towards me. He slowly turns around and stares at me for. It just felt like forever. And I'm just like, "Oh fuck!" And he goes, just starts breaking up in laughter. He goes, "I like you." So <laughs> that, was, that was
2: it. And, and that, so, was like, that so was, did he
0: not go on vacation on Saturday or what?
3: No. And by the way, and by the way, by the way, he was never going on vacation. That's the whole thing about Bruce. Ah. That it was just. It was a test. Let me fuck with you. Yes. Yeah, remember when I, their movement?
0: I was just gonna say, as soon as I right. found out it was a test, that's when I would have fired him. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn <laughs> you, bastard! <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, he, I, I, he, I, I don't know. I got along with them. I got along with all of them. Great. I mean, I think um, McKinney said Mark McKinney said once um, that that Jim was the only one who could talk to all of us. Yeah. Like he could he could relate to all of us. And they are a five headed monster. I mean, Scott Thompson you know, it's a different conversation that you have with Scott than you do with Mark. And certainly a different conversation that you have with Dave than you do with Kevin. And, Mm -hmm. and, and yet if you attack one, forget it, you're, you're you're battling, you're battling Medusa. And I think it's, it's interesting because they, um, Barnaby Thompson, who was an English guy who produced their movie brain candy, um, came up to Toronto. And I kind of, I was, essentially tossing the baton to him to be like, he would do the movie. I would do the TV stuff. And he said, you know, what should I, you know, how should I talk to them? And was like, just just don't, don't be, don't go on and on about how all oh, the movies you've done in England and don't, don't go. And he was a very posh English guy. And, um, he of course went in and started talking about how those movies and, you know, I could just see their eyes lighting up. Like, you know, I would imagine sharks who smell the blood in the water look like right before they go, Oh fuck, there's blood in the water. You know? So, um, one of them raises their hands. I think it was Bruce. And Bruce says, uh, Barbie, um, where'd you go to school? And Barbie proudly says, uh, Cambridge. And, um, and they all kind of nod quietly. And then he goes back to talking about whatever he's talking about. And then one of them interrupts him again and says, did you, so, like, how many times did you get fucked in the ass at Cambridge? Oh my God! <laughs> what is this? And, an and he goes, his face turns, yeah, his face turns bright red. And he says, I, "I was, I beg your pardon." And they said, "How many times did you get raped at Cambridge?" <laughs> and I'm just like burying my hand, my head in my hand. And he said, "I, I was never raped at Cambridge, <laughs> like, like you know." The, you know, you're losing when you have to say, I was never raped at Cambridge. God, uh, yeah, the number of
0: times I've been asked just, that question during a job interview. I wish I had a dime for every time someone asked <laughs> me that question.
3: Damn it. Well, then it was, then they all just piled on. And it's mm-hmm. like, what were you wearing? Maybe you asked for it. Like, it was just, it was unbelievable. And it was really the kids at their best, which yeah. was their ability to play with each other and to play with others. Like, a, unfortunately, in that case, like a, you know, a cat with a dead mouse, but I think, um, he, he, and, and I just remember just like, I like, I I told you not to do that. You know, it's like, so I really understood them. And I, and I was so honored to work on the show. I was a huge fan of the show. So did that for three years and then it it basically got canceled after five years and came back and I did a few other things for Lauren's specials and things like that. But I really started to, thing that i was like i gotta get out of here was i had sold a pilot to fox and it was a big big thing and it was a like a puppet it was a life-size puppet show called um wake up america and it was a guy uh dennis klein who wrote it and dennis klein was on the co-creators of of uh, the larry sanders show yeah so it was a super dark fucked up pilot with like spitting image kind of puppets um uh at the today Show, behind the scenes of the today show. So it's like Tom Brokaw or a Tom Brokaw kind of um, character
2: yeah. was
3: like fucking an intern right before they went on air and backstage. It was like, nut. it was super dark. Yeah. And Fox, I remember we pitched it and Fox bought it in the room and I was like, Holy shit. And it was like $2 million, super expensive pilot. And I went back to my hotel. This is in Los Angeles. I went back to my hotel and I called up Lauren and I was so proud. Mm-hmm. And I said, Lauren, um, I've got great news. We, we sold a wake up America to Fox. Mm-hmm. They went great. So you use my name to sell stuff. Is that how this works, Jim? <laughs> what? And, yeah. Well, normally I would have a bit of a war what not nah, basically, but I was so excited. I didn't say what I should have said, which was, you know, some other version of that, making sure that he couldn't say that. And I said, and then I, and, and this is the part I said, just fucked it up. I said, no, 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 no. We never mentioned your name. As if <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> As if and that's going to help. Yeah. And he goes, great. So you're telling me you don't need my help?
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. What a mind screw that was. I mean, it was it? did he always deal in that? Like it did. You yeah, didn't quite know away. where you stood.
3: Always, 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 and that's why. And I think if you ask any of the performers, even the ones who will not say an unkind word about him, that's how he wins. He just, Mm. particularly for performers, which are even more sensitive to mind fucking. He's that's what he does. That's what he does. And I remember getting off the phone and going, "God damn it! Like fuck, (laughs) I'm not going to let that that fucking old man ruin my you know rain on my parade." So I got on a plane the next day. I went back to New York. And I literally on the plane came to the conclusion, like, I have to get out of there. I just got to get out. Yeah. Because if I don't, I'll just be like all the other people who've been around since 1975 who really shouldn't have their jobs. And mm-hmm. But, you know, and he would always say weird things like, Jimmy, you're safe inside here. I mean, I can't vouch for you outside of Broadway <laughs> video, but uh, like, why am I crazy? Like, what? <laughs> wait a minute. He, I, the way he would say it, you'd start to think like, Maybe wait am I am I eating my own feces in front of people is that what's happening that <laughs> Good and God. I don't know it Yeah I mean you know we mean what do you mean? You can't vouch for me outside of these doors? Like, why? Wow. Yeah.
0: Thanks for nothing. My God. And so, yeah. at that point, yeah. you uh, decided maybe it's time to uh, take a break from Broadway video and and move on. Was that yeah. was that next step? Uh, the Howard Stern show on CBS was that the uh, the big move, or was that was there something else in between that and uh, and the Stern show?
3: So I I got offered a job to run. Um, uh, uh howard stern's radio show for cbs yeah late night he was doing and uh, frankly i mean i could tell in my meeting with stern that it, it was going to be temporary i mean he didn't want did to show he was just what well, we all found out later and i don't even think gary knew gary uh Dalibati knew at the time was that he was in the process of getting a divorce
0: so so stern was getting divorced from allison stern at the same time you were getting hired to run his cbs
3: the beginning the the conversation about the fact that he was unhappy and he wanted to separate and i think about a year after a year after that they got divorced so yeah it was all around that time and so he was very cagey and miserable and didn't want to do stuff and and it was difficult because basically all he wanted to do was the e show he'd been doing up to that point
2: mm-hmm. which was just
3: robotic cameras filming his radio show
2: yeah
3: um and then he and he would take stuff that he, then we'd put stuff on cbs that even he would be like ooh, i don't know man that's pretty hard and <laughs> we put it on and cbs would let us put it on but then every monday i'd walk into the office and be like a bunch of messages from uh, the net, uh, TV stations across the country saying, yeah, we are no longer carrying your show uh-huh. um, because we got so many letters and everything. Yeah. So I would, did that for about nine months. And then, um, then there was a weird time in New York where there was just, there's just, it dri- the work dried up. NBC and ABC, I think in the same week, fired 300 people each. So it was like they were kind of contracting back towards Los Angeles. Yeah. So uh, we moved to Los Angeles and I, in so doing moved, the Tom Green Show, which was uh, had just started on MTV, yeah, and Tom wanted to move to LA, so we moved the show to 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 LA, and that was a lot of fun.
0: Tom so, so you Eastern went right, Stern. so you went right, right from Stern to the Tom Green Show. That that was, uh, yeah, I think it
3: was like a four month Yeah,
0: as far as difficulty, that was kind of a lateral move, right? It's like going from Stern yeah, to I mean, Tom. Tom, Green.
3: Tom, yeah, I mean, obviously, Howard's much more. Machiavellian in his, yeah. you know, when he wants to screw with you. Yeah. Um, Tom's just manic depressive. And, and, you know, it's, that's, the, I have to say this is the first time I actually, I mean, learning how to navigate Lauren and to a certain degree, Howard was kind of uh, 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 brain building, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. But um, n- navigating Tom was a whole nother matter because it was actually navigating uh, me- mental illness. And uh-huh. um, I'd never had to deal with that. And so, he, what I you know quickly learned was he loved McDonald's, and then subsequently, <laughs> the reason he loved it so much is because it would give him a sugar rush, and then he wouldn't feel, you know, depressed yeah. for at least twenty minutes. <laughs> and so, I'd walk into like someone would say, you know, Tom wants to see you. He's he's feeling down, and I'd walk into his office. You know, this is sunny California, but it was a like pitch black. Like all the blinds were closed and the <laughs> shades were closed, and he would just be lying on the floor, kind of, you know, arm in arm with gloom. And yeah. I was just like, what, "What's, what's going on?" And then he'd sit down and, you know, he'd say, "Well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do the show. I just can't do the show. <laughs> like, well, why not? Let's, why not? I just can't. Do, I can't. I can't do it." <laughs> like, I, I just want to let it be clear here. On the schedule today, it says you're supposed to go out and put uh, dog shit on a microphone and put it in people's faces. Um,
0: I don't know why someone would be uh, apprehensive about doing that. <laughs>
3: yeah, 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 So how can how can how can I help you? you so, know, and be like I, I just I don't feel I'm funny. I don't feel I, and the the I make fun of Tom, but I have to say his genius. Tom's Mm -hmm. genius and it is genius is that coming from Canada, the ultimately the ultimate in terms of polite culture, um, you know, taking it, they almost take British culture one step too far. Mm -hmm. And that is this kind of just, you just don't tell anyone to their face how much you fucking hate them. And so, um, he, but what he did was this really interesting kind of physical comedy where he would invade people's space. And so the dog poop on a microphone or, my favorite was when we we put microphones inside of dildos huge, huge dildos and putting them in people's mouths and asking them
0: questions. And, and so, I mean, do, are you, are you sitting around like, and watching as these props get assembled as you're like, okay, how do we get the dog yeah. shit to stick to the microphone? How yeah. do we get the microphone yeah. into the dildo and go, you know what? Yeah. I went to NYU. I went to Martin <laughs> yeah. Scorsese's yeah. alma mater and I can name every movie between 1938, Even- and 1970. And now I'm putting <laughs> dog shit on microphones. Are you going, how did I end up here? <laughs> But that's the
3: it's a perfect of example we were talking before. I would really get into, you know, like how it is. Yeah. It's a problem you had to solve, basically, you know? And so it became, it, that's part of the, the high that you get. Mm. It's like, like, we had this one thing where, it was right around the time when people, you know, it was, people had this, you know smoking was on its end, you know, in its, in its final days. Oh, yeah. And so... um. Tom came up with this idea that he would go into a restaurant where there was no smoking, but we would have enc- him encased in this plastic box, like this gigantic plastic box, yeah. which would have its own table and chair inside of it, and he would just chain smoke, and it would just be filled, literally. You know, there would not only be smoke in it, but it would just be the the, the inside of the plastic would be that horrific car kind of dripping down. Like, it was like, how do we make this as gross as possible? And then he would like, you know, talk through a, a speaker and order his food. And like a, a slot would come in or what, you know, they, they put the food through a slot and, um, it's a great bit. Yeah. Uh, but you know, trying to figure out how you do that mm-hmm. and, and how we get, how do we get him out of the van and into the restaurant without being stopped? <laughs> it was a, a, amazing called, um, pizza undercutters which is just brilliant where he would follow he followed we followed a pizza delivery guy and tom had a tackle box with like pepperoni and mushrooms you know and then we had a bunch of cheese pies in the back of a truck and he would just follow this other guy this this pizza delivery guy who was a real pizza delivery guy and just where he parked to deliver tom would run out of his truck and like Literally get in front of him and ring the doorbell before he did, and I'd say, "What was the pizza you ordered?" And the guy's a like, uh, pepperoni, and he would like throw pepperoni. And the delivery guy would start getting really angry because he, you know, after the third time, he realizes something's up. And yeah. by the way, why are these cameras following him? And um, I, that, the best part of it was when he went to this guy's house, and the guy. Like said, I didn't order from you. I ordered from that guy. He's like, and, and, and Tom says, yeah, but I, I'll I'll take five bucks off mine. I'm I'm undercut, you know. And, he, and the guy who's like the biggest white trash kind of guy says to him, "This isn't how you run a business, kid. It's not how you run a business." And Tom says, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You should you should advertise like everybody else." And I, it's, <laughs> you mean the brilliance in you, that moment
0: you mean Tom was doing it wrong that's that's crazy
2: exactly uh, yeah, was, yeah. So and it was
3: and the perspective that that was to me that was the essence of Tom's comedy is that he would get you know a, a belligerent, aggressive people to basically like how fast could he get to blow their top and um oh, and it was a performance. It was a performance yeah. art almost. And and so I really, and then we did the Monica Lewinsky episode, which is yeah, I and mean, a half. And then
0: that was, I mean, that was crazy. I mean, you, you're you on this insane stunt slash prank show with Tom and suddenly everything takes this super serious turn with, you know, a cancer yeah. diagnosis. I mean, talk about yeah, the, yeah. the way that was handled, I thought was so great because it really yeah. could have gone horribly awry with that, you know, the cancer episode and Monica Lewinsky and all the rest of it, where yeah. it was such a drastic changeover, such a switch from what people knew Tom Green to be doing in the nature of the show. Uh, how did you end up? Yeah. How did you pull that off? It was an amazing feat. So Tom, so Tom I remember getting called into
3: Tom's office one morning
2: yeah.
3: and he said, I, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a disease? And I said, no, he said. Uh, I said, "Why?" He goes, "Because I think." And by the way, he's dating Drew Barrymore at the time, not married, but dating. He said, "I think I think I might have got something from Drew." You know, but then you kind of like, well, "Of course you did." And so um, I just said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Well, one of my testicles is the size of an apple." An apple! Holy shit! An apple! <laughs> and I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "I. It's just." Inflamed and blah blah, and it's painful. And I said, "Go to it." Did you go to a doctor? He's like, "No." I was like, "Well, uh, th- that is not like any, yeah, venereal disease I've ever heard of." <laughs> and said, you got to you got to talk to a doctor. And he was like, mm, "I don't know." And somebody called his manager, who managed Doctor Drew Pinsky at the same time.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and he called Pinsky, and Pinsky, thankfully, was like. He's got testicular cancer. He has to get to he has to go to UCLA, UCLA medical school right away. Yeah. My uh, professor there, this is his field. I will get I will have the guy clear clear the the decks and and get him in today. Mm-hmm. And so Tom went and then called me a couple days later, and he was had taken off from work and he called me a couple days later and he said, so um, I have cancer. And I said, okay. We kind of already had all assumed something like that, yeah. and he said, um, "Bad." And what we found out later in the surgery that is that he had, as he was going into surgery, that the doctor had told him he literally had 50-50 chance of surviving. And so,
0: wow, I didn't know it was um, that serious. I,
2: I yeah, that's oh, it was crazy. really serious. Yeah.
3: because it had gone on. It had. It. They were concerned, and it might have. It might have metastasized into other parts. I don't know, but they were very concerned about that happening. Yeah. Cause if that had happened, then would have, that would have been the end. Right. And so he said, I said, okay. He said, but I don't, I, I can't do this go through this unless I'm working. Yeah. And I immediately understood what he meant. And I yeah. said, of course, and he said, so I want to film everything. And I said, okay. I said, here's the deal. We film everything.
2: Yeah. And he
3: said, yep. And he, he agreed. He let us film everything. The only thing he didn't, want us to film which is kind of funny was the surgery itself but what we found out later is that they and the reason he didn't want them is they didn't want the doctors to get nervous because they thought they were being filmed which was just a weird yeah. kind of performer's idea of what doctors do <laughs> and um uh but what they, they film all surgeries i guess for insurance purposes and so we got the footage uh from which is like literally an eye in the sky kind of you know hidden security camera from above and they shoot yeah. everything back then. And we incorporated, it's the only part of the special um, that he uh, won't watch to this day.
0: Yeah. There's something watch. weird about seeing inside of you. Like I, I had an ultrasound, um, like a stomach ultrasound, maybe a year ago. And I refuse to look right. at the screen because I don't want to see what's inside of me. It's too much mortality all at once. Right. Maybe that was his reasoning yeah, too.
3: It's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah.
3: It's exactly what he's like. I don't want to, I'm for all intents and purposes. I'm dead on that table while oh. they're doing this.
2: Yeah. And
3: you know, when they do internal, when they do that kind of internal, um, um, you know, uh, surgery where they take everything out. It is so medieval. I mean, they literally, they scoop your organs out and they kind of plop them to the side of your body. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's not, you know,
0: Mhm. It's not pretty. It's, it's not. not the future.
3: Yeah, it's not, it's not the future.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so,
3: um, and so, it's it's hard to watch. We we've yeah. kind of sped it up really fast, and but that special was interesting. It was, um, it was, it was, it was, it was hard to do, and, yeah, and yeah. but I have to say, I'm
2: really proud. of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you should be. It was a monumental thing, not only because of again, taking that left-hand turn into a serious topic out of something that was entirely unserious, but also the sure. fact that I think Tom was one of the first celebrities to bring testicular cancer to the forefront, to be public about it, because it wasn't... It was
3: one before of Lance things. Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 years and years, but I think um, it's... Uh what's really interesting. And I didn't know this is that testicular cancer pretty much hits people from men from like 18 to 35. And after 35, if you, you you're not going to get it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things they think, and this is all what we learned through talk is that, uh, a lot of it is trauma based.
0: A lot of it is what, what did you say?
3: Trauma based meaning
0: trauma.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, get kicked in the nuts too many times. There's a good chance you're going to get cancer. Wow. And so, um, because basically what happens is uh, cartilage builds up and then the cartilage, then the cells go crazy, you yeah. know? And um, so, you know, and Tom had certainly landed on his nuts many times uh, <laughs> skateboarding weird. or doing it. Like-
0: and, and I remember, you know, he used to do a lot of bits where he was just like yelling at the top of his lungs. I remember one called rickshaw yep. where he's going around on a rickshaw with yep. like a... Uh, Like a, uh, I don't know whether it was parliament uh, guard hats on, those big furry hats. Mm -hmm. And he's just screaming into a microphone or into a bullhorn right in front of people's faces. And just his face turning like nine levels of purple at the same time. The amount of bearing down and pressure, that alone, to me would cause lots of trauma too, right? That probably caused it
2: too. That caused it too. So,
0: was was Gary Busey your most difficult gig was that the most challenging from a talent point of view
3: yeah no question yeah no question
0: i mean Um, he literally turned sam cedar who's now you know doing basically mm -hmm. what what i do i mean he was the director on that show and gary literally turned sam's hair white from stress is that true yep
3: yep that is absolutely true
0: (laughs) amazing
3: um so sam i've known i've known sam for a long time yeah and um he directed a movie called uh who's the caboose um which was a faux documentary a mockumentary about pilot season which he then went on to do again as a series but um and i don't know how i came up with the idea of inviting him to direct it but he accepted the job and then i think he quickly hated me for it but um (laughs) but yeah he he started to go gray i mean a lot of people on that staff were just gary i mean oh god I mean, he's yeah. so crazy. We, I think that show kind of reignited his, at least the interest in him. I mean, he was kind of, you know, very much a cult figure at that point. But then yeah. that show really got this idea that oh, he, you can, you can play with him. Like he'll mm-hmm. go for it. Um, right. So
0: you, what you're saying is like I, you, you could set him up with a premise and he'll play along with that premise, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, there. You know, on the one hand, I always thought he was just a fucking nutshell, Like you know, he would tell you. Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, Jim, um, a quarter of my brain is still somewhere on the Dallas Highway. Like, really? They didn't clean it up?
0: Uh, if you haven't seen I'm with Busey, you got to find the clips on YouTube and watch I'm with Busey. It was basically this guy, what is it, was the, the main guy Adam, was Adam, uh, right? Adam yeah. DeLaPena. Adam DeLaPena. Yeah. And it was basically him just going around and doing stuff with Gary Busey. And that's all you really need. It's a
2: premise the for idea, show.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you how... So, the funny thing is is that Fred Armisen and I were doing, going to do a sketch show for Comedy Central. Wow. And this is right before he got SNL. Yeah. And it was going to be... He did this... Um, which I think he went on to do on the show on SNL. The the the, the, the Latin percussionist um, character.
2: Yeah, right, right. And
3: uh, right. kind of a Tito Puente, but not Tito Puente. And um, <laughs> and he had done some stuff for HBO where it was kind of hidden camera and stuff. And Comedy Central wanted to do a bunch of his characters. So, it was just flavored... Yeah, development process, and I think we were on draft 12 of the pilot script, mm-hmm. and he call, and Fred called me up and said, Jim, I'm calling, I'm, I'm in New York, and I was like, when did you, I was just saw you yesterday, because I flew out last night, it was last minute, I just auditioned for SNL, and I think I got it, and so, wow. in fact, he did, he had gotten it, so Comedy Central felt horrible, even though it was their own fault, and they said, listen, we have this other show, it's with Gary Busey, I was like, Gary Busey, like, what are you, they said, it's interesting. And I knew Adam from years before, and it was like, oh, I know Adam. And so Adam and I drove out to Gary's house in, uh, he claims it's Malibu, but it's actually Pacific Palisades, but yeah. whatever. And, um, and we go in, and it is, I mean, you know, cigar smoke lingering in the air. Yeah. Um, piles and piles of VHS tapes, <laughs> all of them law and order. <laughs>
0: That's so odd that that would be his favorite, that that's the show. he
3: loved Law, it was on all the time, he loved it. And he said, um, he goes, uh, I I said, right, he goes, goes, I got every Biederman, I got every episode of Law and Order here. I got every single one recorded. And I said, you know, know, there's that weird point where you're, like, talking to someone who's insane, but you don't really know they're insane yet, and so you have a rational, like, and I say rationally, like, oh, you should get a TiVo. He goes, oh, what? I said, you should get... A TiVo. It's it's a it's a DVR. It's like a VHS, but it's 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 digital, and you don't need all these tapes. And he goes, "Yeah," but I got all these tapes.
0: Why bother with TiVo, Jim? He's got the tapes. <laughs> well, and it was this weird kind of conversation, again,
3: kind of circular conversation. It was like, yeah, I know, but then you wouldn't need the tapes. And he always oh, came back to, "But I have the tapes," <laughs> like as if, like. Again, what the brilliance of Gary was, or his insanity, was that he actually started to make you think you were nuts. Like, yeah. you're like, well, yeah, he does have the tapes. I mean, why am I fighting this? And so um, that was the first time I met him, and we left. And, and, Adam does, and Adam doesn't drive, or he didn't at the time. Grew up in California never drove. And so um, – so I'm driving him back to his apartment, and he go, I go, well, what do you think? He goes, ah, that dude scares the shit out of me. I was like, well, this is your idea. I mean, you came up with yeah, the show. right. He goes, yeah, well, let's do the pilot. So we do the pilot. Um, it's painful, but it it's funny. Yeah. And the first episode, we he says, I want to do a whole thing. And, and Gary really thought he was doing – he didn't think he was doing a comedy show. He yeah. thought he was doing, like, preaching and kind of <laughs> – Teaching people things. So
0: he's not in on the joke, right?
3: Well, see, there's a funny thing, because this is a very short sidetrack story, but we did an episode on technology, so every episode was kind of themed. We mm. did it on technology, and, of course, you can imagine Gary Busey, highly suspicious of technology, because, right. you know,
2: of deep course. state,
3: blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so um, we, we went into a Best Buy, and we just kind of you know, ambushed a Best Buy, and he, he was going to go in and tell the Best Buy guy, like all the hidden cameras and and all the ways that you know corporate America spying on you, which by the way turned out to of course to be true. Sure. But um, but back then was like you know what a crazy loon. Um, <laughs> and I remember going and see, he, you know, he did if in fact have a quarter of his brain somewhere on the Dallas Highway yeah. and 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 so he he learned scripts like uh, what's that uh, um, mnemonic you know uh, by
0: rote is that really- you know, by,
3: no no like. Uh, Bible stands for uh, oh, something m- instructions before leaving Earth.
0: Oh yeah, like mnemonic devices. Yeah, so he's really, mnemonic, yeah, yeah.
3: So that's how he would he would learn scripts that way, and it's the way he had. It's you know when you quarter your brain is removed, so um, you would you could only really talk to him about the scene you're about to do maybe five or ten minutes before, and yeah. he would remember. Yeah. But um, so I would I was going down the list saying you're gonna go into this Best Buy and blah blah blah. blah. And he goes, right, 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 okay. So, okay. <clears throat> and I said, you know, just go crazy on him. He goes, right, right, crazy, 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 And I'm staring at him as he's saying crazy like 20 times. And I'm thinking, well, this is going to be great. And so um,
2: Such he a starts mine. to walk
3: away. Yeah. he's still walks away. And he turns just before he goes into inside. He goes, Beerman. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I walk up and I go, what's up? He goes, so it's to be clear i'm completely crazy in the scene i was like yeah all right and he goes in and he is completely crazy in the scene like it's it's manic it's insane it's fucking hilarious this poor guy doesn't know what hit him um and he comes out gary comes out and you know it's sam yells cut and we're done and he comes out of the best buy and he he's looking for me he takes his sunglasses off and you know, our eyes meet, and he gives me—he points to me, and then gives me a thumbs up, and kind of like you know, like a I did—I did it. And he walks out, and I'm thinking, wait a minute—is he not crazy? Like, is—is—is is, is he crazy or is he not crazy? Like, I don't know. And it would always moments of like that where I'd be like, wait a minute—he's crazy. I know he's crazy, but now he's actually aware of the. It's like you know, yeah it's like uh, skynet or something you know it's, yeah. he's become self aware so it's like it's like really really bizarre it was so weird dealing with him so the first episode of the series after the pilot we go up to uh uh um the red rocks in in arizona and um sedona and he's a head of, he's just like you know hogging in heaven and by yeah. <laughs> he's just like so exci- excited to be in Sedona because he believes all this, you know, the vortexes and all this stuff. He believes all this new age stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so he um, he had hired this woman named Peggy. Oh yes, 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 yes. Form. I was
0: just I was just gonna ask you about the stolen video camera story, which is yeah. to this yeah. day I repeat that story to anyone who will listen. This is my favorite Busey story that you tell. Okay, so now that I've set that up, <laughs> so, no no pressure.
2: All right.
3: So no, none at all okay. so he uh he Peggy was an aging uh uh sad aging playboy bunny, she yep. might have been a playboy model like in nineteen sixty eight or something sure. and uh you know the years had not been kind and so but she was his assistant and makeup artist and I don't know, blowjobs. I don't. I couldn't tell what their relationship was. Yeah. But you know, she talked. She was like, Gary doesn't think it's funny if he does this. Like, I'm like, I'm Peggy. No offense. I'm not talking to you about ideas. I'm just not going <laughs> to talk to you about ideas. And so she'd go back and say, you know, Jim says he's not going to talk to me about ideas. And then Gary would have a blow a gasket, and then I have to sit there in a meeting with Peggy, and she'd tell me her ideas creatively, and it was just yeah. like, the, the anger would just. I would just. I was so angry at the whole time because I was like, this is just fucked. It's just. Just. I just feel like, hey. Just be crazy and we'll be fine. Don't yeah, please yeah. don't don't analyze anything. So we're up in Sedona and Peggy has a video camera, like one of those really early camcorders, and she announces that it's been stolen. <laughs> that On one of our shoots, it's been now missing, taken out of her back. <laughs> and I go, okay, well, you know, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, look, we'll look everywhere, but if it, you can't find it, we'll just put it in insurance and we'll get you a new one. Mm. But I really like that one. It's like, okay, we'll get you the same one. No, no, that's the one. It's got stuff on the video that I really want. I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you, Peggy. It's been stolen. I don't think anyone on our crew stole it, but, you know, look, we'll look for it. So I go back to to the hotel, and Gary's calling me all the time saying, you know, someone on the crew, obviously, and I think we should probably one at a time. Just because don't forget, he's had every episode of Law and Order at home. And he's like, uh, And I said, Gary, um, I'm sorry. You're insulting my crew. Yeah. I can tell. I can vouch for every single member on this crew. No one stole the shitty fucking camcorder that the Playboy Bunny brought. It's, it's, I'm telling you. And he's like, Well, someone did. And so I've, <clears throat> I'm bringing up a psychic from Phoenix. A
0: psychic now is that? Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a psychic. I'm going to bring a psychic up from Phoenix, and she's going to help us. She's the best. She's the best. She's going to find out who took the camera. I was like, great. By the way, he she he had her invoice the production. By the way, yeah. So, um, I uh, uh, <clears throat> I go out with some of, some of the crew. We go and have dinner, and I come back, and in the lobby of the hotel is uh, is Gary Busey, Peggy, yeah. um, an older woman with a cane, a, she's blind, and a young woman with that older one. And he sees me and excited, excitedly jumps up and says, um, oh, I should also backtrack one before I get there. And that is that Gary really does believe in Bigfoot and all these things. And he claims to have seen Bigfoot and he's, he's claimed to have seen, uh, claimed to have seen, um, you know, alien, a uh, greys, you know, aliens who live among us. And yeah. um, he, he, he believes all that stuff. So he was telling me that, you know, Bigfoot, a lot of people think Bigfoot uh, only lives in like, you know, Saskatchewan or the kind of North Pacific Northwest, but actually Bigfoot, you know, as he, he knows of Bigfoot, Bigfoot sightings that have happened down by Sedona, which, okay, whatever. And so, um, I come back and he sees me and he jumps up excitedly and he runs over to me in the lobby and he says, "Peterman, man, do you, do you see, do you see that woman over there with the cane? I was like, yeah, she goes, <laughs> she's blind. I was like, no, I, I can tell. He goes, she's a psychic.
2: <laughs>
3: and i said oh that's 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 kind of ironic don't you think and he goes why why i said what and he goes why why is it ironic i was like well because she can't see but she can see you know And he was like yeah it literally he does all of these things i guess again you're crazy not me and so um and at this point i just i've had it with I was just like, I. Uh, he goes, he goes. Well, she told me who told the who took the camera. I was like, oh, who took the camera? And he goes, well, she she can't see a face. I was like, okay, but she saw hands take the camera out of Peggy's bag. Take the camera. I was like, okay, um, I do That makes sense. Someone must have reached in and taken the camera. Yeah. So I understand the hands part. And he goes, she said, she said something really interesting though. She, goes, What's that? He goes, she said, whoever took the camera is elusive. He doesn't want to be caught.
2: <laughs> wasn't it hot? No, I, I,
0: uh, I was just going to say, wasn't there also a vision of it being in a dark place?
3: Yeah, so it was in a dark place. The camera was now in a dark place. And um, I'm thinking I'm just like standing there going, hmm mm-hmm. And he goes, <laughs> so... I think we know who stole the camera. I was like, who? He goes, well, whoever it is, they don't want to be caught, but she's seeing it and I think we're close. I said, oh my God, you're so fucking nuts. And I said, you know, and we had had the conversation about Bigfoot earlier that day. I said, maybe, um, you know, I have an idea. And he goes, what's that? I said, maybe Bigfoot took the camera. And he kind of cocks his head, he stares at me and like in disbelief and says, God damn it, Biederman, Bigfoot would never take the
2: camera. <laughs>
0: That is genius on so many levels, and he obviously doesn't know that it's just a genius response because, as if there was any chance whatsoever of Bigfoot actually stealing the cameras, it's just like, well, that's no, just he's, that's he's really, preposterous. <laughs> he got again
3: so that weird thing of like you're the nut job, and he got so angry at me. He got yeah. stormed off and sat down with the psychic, and I and I was actually this whole conversation took place in front of a Comedy Central eject who. Uh, Margie Yespa, and she, she was just sitting there crying, trying not to laugh. Like, it was just, because it was always these insane. She, and I remember we walked away, she goes, I don't know how you do it. I was just like, at a certain point, it's just fun. I mean, I told him things like when he would really act out, and he acted out terribly, I would tell him that I had a secret code. Comedy Central would give me a secret code. So I, all I had to do was dial in. This number, this phone number they gave me, and punch in this code, and I could cancel the show. I could have the show canceled. Yeah. Um, and that, then, Comedy Central would give me this in case Gary had gotten too out of hand, and he believed it. And so, when he would get really crazy and do some weird shit on set, I would say, um, "Gary, I'm afraid I'm going to have to call the number." And he'd be like, "Don't! Oh God, don't, don't call the number, beater!" Like he'd get on his knees and beg me, like, "For the love of God, don't call the number! Please, don't call the number!" I'd say, "Well, I'm. I got to call him. It's you know, it's part of my job." <laughs> And he would believe this. Yeah. And so it was like kind of dealing with like a five year old in a six foot three, you know, battered, you know, sixty five year old body. Yeah. And uh and,
0: and I mean, now and, and now he's president of the United States. <laughs> Might you know what? Might as well be. That show could have been I'm with Trump. I mean, because they're, they're basically carved from the same iconoclastic mold,
2: right? They
3: they very much. So I, so he, we, so someone complained, he grabbed girls' asses all the time on set. And it it just was like, you know, I was like, come on, dude. And so he, and Comedy Central had, had had a problem, I think in their New York office. So every production had to read the statement from their business affairs, their lawyers and to everyone on set. So I would, got the crew together, read this thing. And you know, here's what you can't do is what you can't, you know, blah, 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 blah. The, the early sexual uh, harassment lectures basically.
2: Yeah, and right.
3: I go in and I read this thing to Gary. Cause I'm by, by the rules of my employee, I am to read this to everyone. So I read to Gary and, I, and it's like a paragraph at the end. I go, so, and, and I'm just to ask this question. Do you understand everything I've just said to you? Yep. And he looks at me and goes, no, I do not. <laughs> And I said, what part? And I'm like, he's like thrown by it. I was like, oh really? Which, which, which I can go over. Which part do you not get it? He goes, the whole fucking thing. And I was like, well, why not? He goes, because man and women are meant to be together. And I was just like, oh my God. I was like, look, Gary, just do me a favor. Right. Don't fucking touch anyone's butt. He was like, you're asking me not to t- reach out and touch something as beautiful as a perfect butt. I was like, yeah, I'm asking you, I'm telling you, don't do it. He's like, why? Why would I not do? I mean, that's like, why would you, do, why would you say that? It's like, because it's a, it
0: belongs to someone else.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's against corporate policy, but more importantly, it's wrong. And yeah. it's like, I, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. You know what? You know what's wrong? <laughs> You're not believing that God's way is the right way. That's what's wrong. That's what's <laughs> wrong. He would refer to Sam Cedar as where's the Jew. Where's the Jew? Oh like, my God. Crazy. crazy. Oh yeah, no, it's nuts. And so, um, So it was always, he'd always, you know, he'd always default to the God, the Christian God thing. So apparently uh, Christian, the Christian God had no problems with, you know, him cupping some young girl's rear end. So it was like, it was all that kind of stuff. And it it was, I mean, I'm just telling you like literally a fifth, you know, uh, not even a fifth, like 0.05%. I mean, there's every episode was just so fraught with this pain of having to deal with this guy. Yeah. And at the same time, I'll tell you in the edit room, you just say, Oh, thank God for him. Thank God for him. Yeah. He knew, he knew where the cameras were at all times. This is the part where I just like, is he crazy or crazy like a fox? I mean, he knew where the camera was every single time. He knew when to give it a look. He knew, he just knew it was like, instinctual. it's bizarre. Yeah. And, and like I said, coming out of the best Buy, saying, was that crazy? Was that crazy enough? Was that good? It's just like, yeah, what wait a minute. Are you so you're not crazy? Like it's and you know, but then having an argument about Bigfoot stealing a, you know, his, his girlfriend's camera. It's like and getting really angry about it when I, you know, implied that Bigfoot and I don't think it was that I was making fun of it. I don't think he understood that. I think he thought that I was somehow shaming Bigfoot.
0: <laughs> He's somehow indicting him. Yeah, you know, in this country yeah. you're innocent until proven guilty and you're unfairly indicted. Yeah. Indicting also,
3: Bigfoot. yeah. And also, Bigfoot is as close to pure nature as possible. you about?
0: See, now, when we first met, Jim, I remember uh, that first week. You flew out to Pennsylvania. I had my little animation studio yeah. in some industrial park yep. somewhere. And I remember begging yep. you to ignore what the network might have said about me. Because at that point, we had yep. tried to do the first season of my uh, animated sketch show. And it and it just fell right. apart. It was just a disaster. It was a fiasco. Then they brought you in, and they flew you out to meet with me. And I didn't even know that you were on your way out. So I was clueless. I was, in fact, yeah. going to take that day off. I was going to do like a Bruce McCullough. I was gonna say, I'm going to go on vacation. And so uh, yeah. you show up, and I and I like was begging you. I was like, you know, I'm I'm not a difficult guy, and and you I'll never forget your I response. You were like, you turn to me and goes, Bob, you're easy. And I was like, well, yes. Now that I've got the perspective of who you had just been working with, Gary Busey, of course I'm gonna be a piece of cake. Oh, man, that was uh, that was fascinating. And then you know, when you talk about first meetings with people. I remember we had lunch uh, on that first day and yeah. I was completely thrown, uh, not only because I was unaware that you were on your way out, but at the same time, I knew your resume. I knew what you had worked on. And of course, I had loved kids in the right. hall and Howard Stern and Tom Green and all right. these things. So you're like right. this legendary guy coming out and we're having lunch, and I'm nervous as hell. And I remember I was uh, I was trying to put some sugar into some iced tea, and I flicked the sugar packets, and I flicked like four sugar packets directly into your dinner. And so like, oh, well this is, we're, we're now off to a great start now. I'm throwing projectiles at Jim Biederman's food great this will turn out well on this already fiasco production um but you know what ultimately jim you saved that show you saved my show oh, and, thank you. and i don't think i've ever thanked you for that so i want to thank you here and oh, now because it made, very very well no one else could have done that job i, I i'm convinced of it you were the right guy for the rep right, not only that but not only because of what you brought to the table but also the writers that you brought to the show yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's Fun. John Plummer, uh, Jason Nash, yeah. all of these guys who, you Chris know, Brown. yeah, Chris Brown, uh, Chris Brown especially. I mean, this background working on uh, yeah. uh, G.I. Joe and all those animated yeah. shows, and then uh, Jason Nash, who is now just a, a yeah. massive internet celebrity. I mean, first uh, a yeah, Yelp right. or you, uh, what was it, a uh, Vine celebrity, and now he's a YouTube guy and. Yeah. Just blew up and 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 that was like for me that was like a dream team that that first uh, that first writing step yeah it was, it was a great, lot of fun. great great time so what are you what are you working on right now Jim other than the uh, history fluffer podcast
3: I'm pitching a thing called American Town Hall which is a live uh, currently a live LA show yeah. where people come and do essentially a town hall. But they, come, they bring their crazy characters into the town hall to complain about, you know, shit people complain about at town halls, yeah. you know. And uh, so it's got like in the live shows, it's like Thomas Middleditch and people like that kind of come in and do guest spots. Mm-hmm. But we're going to try and pitch it as a, as a sketch, like a narrative sketch show. So we'll create a town and these kind of like Little Britain, but yeah. with an American town hall kind of is the spine of it. So I'm working on that and... Uh, A plumber and I have a thing in Audible, which is exciting. Oh, great.
0: Great. That's exciting. Uh, Yeah. An
3: Audible original. Perfect. And so, um, a scripted thing. And then um,
0: just things like that. I
3: mean, I kind of, at a certain point, kind of like I, you know, I have to do the money gig, but I still always try and plan the, you know, well, because I get a lot of phone calls where they're like, well, we have the show, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, that sounds horrible. You know, and (laughs) then you just politely just. You know, I, I'd love to. I can't. I'm so sorry. I, I'm busy on the yeah. next five years. Yeah. So, um, uh, so it's, it's, but unfortunately, you have to do those every once in a while. But I also, at the same time, I always try and, if I hear about an interesting project, I'll go after it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. I'm currently looking for stuff but um, I do have to unfortunately I have to jump off sounds great I've got to jump off on this conference call but I would
0: love to do this again if you want me to yeah are you you kidding? yeah I'd love to talk politics one of these shows too so definitely I'll I'll look you up and and you know what thank you too for introducing me to to Jen Kirkman she is a genius and I'm so glad to to know her now she is a master at uh, stand up and everything else so thank you Jim it's been such a pleasure and I can't wait to talk to you again real soon all right Take care, bye. man. Bye bye.